What's up, everybody? This is FTW with Ahmad Khan. I'm your host, Ahmad Khan, and joining me today on this first win since 2014 edition of the podcast is Parks Osley. Hey there, guys. And Parks is League of Legends reporter for Invent Global. On this show, we'll be talking about ESPN's Valorant Invitational, Counter-Strike numbers, and of course, we'll have some idle chit-chat at the end. But first, we have to talk about the LCS Spring Split Finals. Over the weekend, Cloud9 completely destroyed FlyQuest during the Spring Split Final, taking it 3-0. This is the first time they've been champions since 2014. Cloud9 has clearly been dominant throughout this entire series uh, with a 17-1 run. And this is from a totally rebuilt roster, which is, you know, in my opinion, more impressive. So, Parks, let's just jump straight into it. What does this weekend's win say about Cloud9 as a League of Legends organization? This win is obviously incredible. I think it says a lot about Cloud9 and their ability to function in, in this region. I don't know what all it says about them as an org overall. I think that kind of gets a little bit more hazy because we don't know enough about kind of the International League of Legends right now. And unfortunately, because of COVID, we're not going to be able to learn as much as we normally would. But I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's very important for the org. It's just a testament to them and their ability to kind of rebound. They did change their roster again. Uh, and, and that does make it more impressive. They kind of took some players that were good, but they weren't on the best team. Well, actually, Zven, Zven was. He was on G2 and, and TSM, uh, the 17-1 run. They're actually the most dominant team in LCS history because not only did they go 17-1 in the regular season, they only lost one game in the playoffs as well. Um, and the last time we had a 17-1 team, they got swept in the playoffs and they look terrible so i mean what does that say i guess about you know the lcs in general because throughout most of the games the competition wasn't really as exciting as what we were finding in lec or lck and so a lot of times like when you when you look at that you could just say that's because cloud nine was just so much better you know that the lcs is fine it's just cloud nine is really good that uh that's pretty hard to do in the lcs when we have a history of underperforming internationally I think if it were the LEC, if they had a team that was that dominant, then you could potentially make that claim that, you know, oh, G2 or Fnatic or whomever is at the top is just very, very good, but the league is still fine. I think here, when a team is that dominant, it's usually because the league has just had an even more terrible year than normal, which feels pretty bad to say, considering it's my job to talk about them a lot. But um I don't think that the LCS performed very well throughout the year. So before the split, everyone kind of assumed Golden Guardians would be a 10th place team, and they ended up making 6th. And I don't necessarily think it was because they were so much better than everyone expected. I think it's because the league was worse than everyone expected. I think they overperformed a little, and I think, you know, that's great for them, but I don't see them getting sixth in a league that kind of matched everyone's expectation coming in. TSM was in fifth place, and everyone kind of looks at the team that they had, the roster that they had, and if they perform to their ceiling, they should be up there competing with Cloud9 and, and the roster that Cloud9 put together, but they just didn't really. They got the one game on them in the regular season, but they really didn't perform outside that. So why do you, why do you think that is, like, where an entire league just kind of is in this weird slump like did everybody eat eat some bad shrimp or something uh i wish it was easy to explain as some bad seafood it's i think it's just 
down to the culture that the LCS has. And, you know, luckily when we do have international events, I get to see a lot more of the broader picture. Hmm. I don't know what made this year specifically more bad than other years. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah because it was it, like even before, you know, coronavirus completely took over everything, there was that underperformance. And maybe it was exacerbated by the ongoing pandemic and like that shift in not having not competing live anymore. I think that would do a, a disservice <laughs> to the LCS because I think that's giving it an excuse that it, it doesn't necessarily deserve. I do hope this is a wake-up call, though. I would love to see teams kick it into a higher gear this summer. I mean, how much of Cloud9's success would you put on their coach? How do you pronounce it? Is it Reappeared? It's Reapered. Reapered, Reapered. Oh, man, I, I sound like such a noob. But, you know, Reapered, <laughs> even, you know, he, he did a little uh, interview with uh, Invent Global, and even he was joking about, you know, how uh, Cloud9 would fare against uh, some of the LEC's top performers. Well, first of all, so how much should Reaper be credited with uh, C9's performance? And does C9 really stand a strong chance against some top global players? I think he deserves a pretty good amount of credit. It's really hard, and he actually talked about this himself. It's really hard for us to see what's going on behind the scenes. We don't really know what he does. We look at the players on the team. I think the, the other thing that makes it really impressive is None of these players had an LCS title before. Uh, Sven, the AD carry, did have one in Europe, and he's actually the first one to win both an LEC title and an LCS title. So that's, you know, really cool for him Mm -hmm. uh, that he was able to do that, especially with so many Europeans in the LCS. He was the first to get both. You know, outside of that, the players individually are all very good, and they've all been, you know, getting recognized for a few years but none of them had a title and so when you when you look at a new roster uh, none of them having a title you know you you do kind of think you know the coach must have had a lot uh, you know to play into this team doing so well especially when it's a 17 and one split so I, I do think that he deserves a lot of recognition and he did win coach of the split so, you know, that's that's great that he got that because I think that's very much deserved. I mean, well, for comparison, you know, like the the MVP for the LCS was was Mikix. Am I pronouncing this right at all? <laughs> yeah, Mickey or Mickey X. Yeah. The player of the series was Vulcan for LCS and then for LEC was Mickey of G2. So, I mean, how does like Vulcan compare to like, you know, like a Mickey of G2 or even like a Faker? So Mickey is really interesting because of all of the specific play styles that he has. Vulcan is a very good, a fundamentally very good player. Um, He's also really young. Mickey's been around a little bit longer. And Vulcan has only been here, I think this is his, just his third split. So it's really only been about a year now, uh, a little over a year that he's been playing at the highest level. And he's, he's been to one international tournament, but he definitely doesn't have the same experience. You know, as, as someone who talks about the LCS for a living, I would love for Vulcan to be able to go up against Mickey, you know, at some point, maybe next year or something. But right now, it's, it's pretty tough to compare him just due to how much Mickey has under his belt. Uh, and the really cool thing about him as a player is he will play any champion 
in the support role and somehow figure out how to make it work. He also will play with any player. The last two years, he's just played with people in an off role. Both of his laners, he had a mid laner switch last year, and then they swapped actually this year coming into this spring split. So he's been playing with people who don't really know how to play that position, and he's had to not only play his own role, but coach his partner in their role. And so the fact that they keep winning, uh, I, I do think, says a lot about him. So I don't know if there's anyone else that we can compare him to. But then when you bring up Faker, I mean, that, that goes even further because that's uh, the biggest name in the league. So Vulcan, if you look back at the beginning of Faker's career, uh, you know, when he was just a year and a half in, probably already had more buzz, but we also didn't have the same pedigree or the you know the same big names back then that we do now the big news of yesterday was uh, jacob wolf of espn reporting that double lift would be going back to tsm uh the last time you know double lift was with tsm was in 2017 and you know this split double lift was quickly benched for not performing well and lacking motivation do you think that him going back to tsm will magically have him performing at a level that is expected of him Oh, man, I don't know what to say about Doublelift. The, uh, yeah, you know, he, he did. He left in 2017, and that was huge news that he was off that team. He just seems so synonymous with every team that he's on. He does so much for his brands. So it's just really weird to see him leave. But yeah, you know, it's, it's not the same TSM team. It's really interesting that he's going back, but there are also a lot of implications there that, get a little bit a little sketchy i guess i don't know what what riot's response is going to be to this because of all the different things that him being on tsm kind of imply about the league because you know i don't i don't know how much you or the audience has heard he's dating lena of course he's been public right. about that tsm's president could there have been some talk behind the scenes he was dating someone new and, you know, in the honeymoon phase and he didn't care about playing league because, you know, that's kind of a problem. Was he already deciding to move to TSM halfway through the season because that's a problem? So I don't know. It's, it's a really interesting situation. Well, uh, you know, before we jump on to the next topic, let's let me ask you quickly some trade talk. Who, what LCS players Well, what are the top three potential trades you see happening? Hmm. Well, Kabe, you know, the current TSM AD carry would need a place to go. And I think that that's a pretty big one. It's kind of hard to figure out where he could go, though, because with such little time, you know, he could go back to the LEC because he's European. It would be difficult to have him in the U.S. because the most teams have both of their imports already. And so a team can only have two imports and he takes up a slot that most already have filled. So it'd be pretty interesting to see where he goes. The real big thing, though, is will CoreJJ, Doublelift's old support, come with him? Um, and Doublelift did used to play with Biofrost, who's on TSM. So, you know, that could work out for him. And maybe that was part of the thing is that he missed playing with Bio. But I wouldn't be surprised if CoreJJ figured out a way to get over there because... With Doublelift taking Kabe's place, TSM has a spot for another import. The other really big one, and I know that this is just talking about TSM only, is since they have another import slot now, they could try and get Golden Guardian's jungle closer. 
he came over from Turkey this year. He's their, the TSM top laner. He's their old teammate. So, you know, there's some old synergy there. He, I think he got second on the All-Pro team. He looked absolutely fantastic and was a huge part of why Golden Guardians made it to the playoffs at all. So that could be a huge pickup if they were able to get him as well. And they would for sure be able to challenge Cloud9 uh, this summer if they could kind of get their synergy worked out. So I think CoreJJ and Closer, if they were to go to TSM, those would be the two biggest trades that we could have. Otherwise, does a team get sneaky? You know, he was on this Cloud9 team for so many years. Uh, he's one of the big legacy players, and he's currently teamless. So mm. I think those would be kind of the ones that I would look out for. So for the last two days, ESPN has been throwing on a Valorant Invitational, and it's been in a really interesting format where they've essentially created teams of pro players and former pro players from different games. So like there would be a team of Apex Legends players or a team of Counter-Strike players or a team of Overwatch players. And it's been interesting to kind of see which teams and players have kind of risen to the top. For example, the Apex players have been doing very well. Unsurprisingly, the League of Legends players have not been doing very well. Parks, I know you've been following Valorant very closely since its, you know, beta debut. And, you know, recently there's been a lot of talk of some characters like Raze and some other meta changes. So what is going on right now? We're in a super interesting time since the only tournaments we have are organized by media companies and esports teams and stuff like that. You know, we don't have any super legitimate tournaments getting organized, and it's all at the very beginning. We just had our first patch notes drop yesterday that I think they just took effect. I think they actually just turned on the servers right now, um, so we don't even know what's going to happen next week. But yeah, raise my goodness. This agent, I think it's the most recent one that they've added. She has been seeing a lot of play, of course. There is a bunch of talk from streamers and, and high-level players asking Riot to nerf her. Actually, they put out a little video talking about how they saw her being played and why they wanted her to be in the game and why they didn't want to nerf her. They did actually give her a little love tap. Um, so I think that's very good what they uh, the specific changes that they made just kind of help to keep her balanced for making sure that she just can't run off by herself, do whatever she wants. She has to kind of, you know, use some teamwork a little bit more, be a little slower. Those were really good changes. And I think we may see a little less of her because she is kind of a lone wolf character that doesn't work as well in a big team environment. Although I think in just kind of your your typical solo queue ladder, I think she'll probably be a, a staple for a while. I think Cypher, for me, is a really big one because he has so many vision capabilities and he is so strong at defending a point and running solo. He can set up some traps uh, around the map, set up a camera that he can always be looking at, and it allows his team to play more aggressive on the other side of the map. So I think Cypher is really important. On top of that, Sage is kind of the big call out for me. She's the only one who can heal teammates. Phoenix can heal himself, but no one else can heal their teammates. And so I think because of that and because of Sage's zone of control, she's always going to be in any team comp. Uh, she also has a revive as her ultimate, which is pretty strong if you're kind of stuck in a weird situation. And other than that, for the most part, you just need to make sure you have someone with vision, someone who can push in, and just play as a team. Uh, but there's a little bit more flexibility in some of the other agents. 
Yeah, you know, I think while watching the Valorant Invitational, you know, that the fact that, you know, we're seeing Apex players do so well, and, you know, given that EA and kind of the whole Apex um, esports structure really hasn't been as vivacious as as it has been on the Fortnite end, you know, I could see some, you know, top Apex players jumping over to Valorant if Riot, which they presumably will, continues to put in more resources and really fleshes out the scene. You know, people have already talked about, you know, Valorant being a threat to Counter-Strike, and we'll jump on that in the next segment, but, um, you know, do you see it being a threat to a game like Apex, which is kind of like in this weird in-between at the moment? I would. I think Valorant has a lot to offer for Apex players. You know, people who really want to play Apex are going to play Apex, and that's great. I think, you know, likely Riot Games is going to do a lot for Valorant. They haven't ever really... Well, I mean, I guess it's because the only real game they've made before is League, but they've they've never made a game and and not done a lot with it. And I think the message that they're sending out is that they're going to do a lot for Valorant. So for Apex players who want to have a larger career, you know, maybe more audience and more support from orgs and more esports uh, opportunities, I imagine... If they're liking Valorant as a game, you know, they'll probably make a switch. And uh, we'll see, you know, obviously it's still in closed beta. So a lot of this is, you know, we, we don't even know how many more agents they're going to make, more maps, and what all the esports scene will look like specifically. Uh, they, did, they have made some announcements on it, and it's not going to mirror League of Legends. They're not just going to have 10 teams playing some games it's not going to mirror overwatch either but i think it'll be heavily supported and i think riot is going to do a lot to make sure that there are numbers there and people watching Mm. well you know speaking of numbers so uh just very quickly we'll touch on counter-strike this past weekend where its concurrent numbers were just crazy high beating dota 2 and with a concurrent base of 1.3 million, I'm sure there are a lot of theories as to, you know, why there was a sudden jump. The fact that there's a global pandemic forcing everyone to stay at home is probably a big one. The fact that possibly everyone's kind of hyped on Valorant and watching a lot of Valorant and not that everybody can get into Valorant are going to the next closest thing, which is Counter-Strike. Either way, this bodes very well for CSGO as a game that's, you know, gosh, is it over 20 years old? Oh, man, it's... It's got to be pushing it if it's not. Uh, so it's a game that's very old, but still very competitive and still a lot of fun. Do you have any quick thoughts on what these numbers mean? I, you know, I would mimic what you were saying. I, I think, you know, the, the pandemic is helpful for games in general, as, you know, awkward and, and weird as that sounds. But, you know, that's probably part of, of the numbers. But I, I would say that the biggest thing for me is the fact that Valorant is out and they have, you know, one and a half million people watching it. So most of these people who are hoping to get into Valorant are probably either League of Legends players who don't really play shooters, or there are people who play CSGO and they maybe they play Apex and they play Fortnite or whatever else. And for anyone who is an old CSGO player, you know, if they're trying to get a Valorant key and they haven't gotten one, they're going to be practicing. You know, if they haven't played CSGO in a year, in five years, they're going to go back to the game and practice and try and relearn how to click heads. And, um, you know, they'll watch the streams to figure out how to play Valorant, and then they'll play CSGO to get the mechanics down. You know, once it goes into the open beta and when the game actually is released, we'll see how much of that is true. But for now, I think that's a pretty big part. 
So let's jump over to Idle Chit Chat to close out the show. So, Parks, when you're complaining to your parents over Zoom about your fourth move in like two weeks, <laughs> what are you talking to them about? Oh, man, it is tough moving right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, the I've been in a weird situation for a while now, and the pandemic just kind of has exacerbated everything. Uh, so I was like, well, I need to I need to move, get my own apartment. And, you know, getting your own apartment in L.A. is not super feasible, especially if you're on an esports media <laughs> salary like I am. So I found a place that looked super great and it was, you know, it was fine, but didn't super suit all of my needs. So then I went and found another one. Um, and it's just, it's really weird because when you talk to people during the pandemic, you know, when you're trying to uh, tour an apartment, everything is done just with some, some guy walking around with a phone and, you know, you have to kind of have more conversations before you can even go over in person to look at a place and then just moving is always a hassle and, you know, I'm going to be renting a truck from U-Haul, but like, how clean <laughs> is it? Did anyone have, you know, the coronavirus and they drove this truck yesterday? And so I don't know. It's just, there's a lot going into, uh, into moving and it's just never fun. And the COVID-19 has not helped that out. Mm. Uh, yeah, for, for myself, let's see, I've th like three really quick chats, um, First is Ubisoft has greenlit a movie about the octogenarian Counter-Strike players called The Silver Snipers. So it's essentially going to be a movie about these old people who uh, decide to form an esports team, which I think is, I don't know, we'll see how it goes. There are a few media esports projects happening right now. The second quick chat I want to talk about is the Supreme Court has recently ruled that non-unanimous decisions are illegal per the Sixth Amendment. So there were two states, Louisiana and Oregon, that were still allowing non-unanimous decisions on serious crimes. And the problem here was, so it allowed prosecutors to get convictions more quickly because they didn't need a unanimous decision. Uh, obviously, the problem is that, you know, in states like Louisiana, where, you know, racism is has permeated the culture, it could allow it so that a prosecutor didn't need to have, like, the most ideal jury to get a conviction, right? Like, they could only get 10 of the 12 votes, which then potentially created more problems of uh, s systematic, you know, racism where people of certain descent were more likely to be convicted of crimes. I, that was as quickly as I could like get through that. I definitely read about <laughs> it. Uh, a lot of uh, publications have written about it. Lastly, I think I really want to just discuss kind of the never-ending nightmare that is the coronavirus and just how the current administration just seems to always somehow make the worst decision, you know, where I think there should be a lot of unity nationally to try to get this under control. It seems that the administration, which has been very forward-heavy in its unilateral powers, is now suddenly decided to be very hands-off at a time where that hands-off approach is probably not the thing that needs to be done right now, which has now put the U.S. at the center of the global pandemic, even though like the U.S. has 4% of the global population. So it's a total mess. I don't know when it'll be over, and it's just frustrating throughout. So on that somber, happy note, let's, uh, let's close out the show. And that was FTW with Ahmad Khan. If you like the show, subscribe and review it on Apple Podcasts. If you want to follow Parks, you can find him on Twitter at Parqueso Media, that's P-A-R-Q-U-E-S-O-M-E-D-I-A, and find his writing over at Invent Global. If you want to follow my writing, you can find it at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and ESPN. I'm also on Twitter at Imad. 
Annie Pay is our producer. She can be found at Pay underscore Annie on Twitter. And our researcher is Ron Lyons. With that, we'll see you guys next week.